The land is the religion. The health of the land is the health of the people, is the health of the nation. Meet this Molokai physician and Kaho'olawe defender, Dr. Noah Emmett Aluli, next on Long Story Short. One-on-one engaging conversations with some of Hawaii's most intriguing people. Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox. Aloha my kako, I'm Leslie Wilcox. Dr. Noah Emmett Aluli has been serving Molokai as a physician for more than four decades. He's perhaps best known for his work alongside other activists to protect and restore Kaha'olawe, where the U.S. Navy carried out bombing drills for 50 years. Dr. Aluli grew up in an extended Hawaiian family in Kailua in Windward Oahu. His family line includes medical doctors, academics, and the Hawaiian patriot Joseph Navahi, who in the 1890s opposed the U.S. government's annexation of Hawaii. Dr. Aluli's family also includes notable names in Hawaiian music, including his aunt, the late Ermgard Farden Aluli. The Alulis are known for music. Are you musical? No. My father would say, don't even try to sing, son. I'm named after my dad, who's named after his dad, and it just goes on. Um, Musical and, and um, on the other side, the um, Meyer girls, um, you know, Malia was the oldest, and Melly Meyer and, and Manu. Manu. Those are all the my father's youngest sister's uh, kids. And so it was one, two, skip a couple of houses, my dad, his brother, and my auntie Irma got way there. But on the other side is my mother with uh, 14 in her family. You were surrounded by yeah, people, yeah. so all these cousins and aunties and uncles. And we had to know them personally. We just kind of really had to stick together and support each other. And My grandpa was one of, um, I think, 17 people who testified at the very first hearing of statehood in 1935. There were about 150. Um, 90 were in favor, 60 uh, were against. And he was? He was, he had conditions. He said, for the well-being and wellness and the non-extinction of the native Hawaiian, he had hoped that we would be recognized, as they had the year before, recognize the uh, Native Americans and set up them as, you know, governments within uh-huh. the government. So he it was what he was thinking. He was always, I think he was one of the organizers of the... Um, Homesteading Act, and certainly kind of argued for it. We, we have that kind of like DNA or ancestral memory or responsibility that that we've kind of like grew up with. Okay, so th- that with that scene said, that's a lot of people around you and people before you, and lots of talents and and but the, uh, definitely uh, DNA, as you mentioned, for standing up and st- standing against what you felt was wrong. Mm-hmm. So so you have Chinese and Caucasian, but you you pulled on the Hawaiian. Right, three quarters, give or take. I don't know exactly, but you know, those days, we never keep track. English. English. Irish. English, Irish. We have a coat of arm on, on my grandpa's side, the Cockett. And, um, the and that's other another famous name in Hawaii. So yeah. Aluli, Meyer, Cockett. Yes, fortunate. Did you did you feel privileged when you were growing up? Didn't know it, but yeah, we we kind of like were able to afford good schools. Um, never went hungry. 
um, you know, was able to uh, compete in the ocean, uh, was able to fish and never hunted though, but privileged in the sense that we were given a lot of opportunities uh, and uh, had to prove that we would be able to kind of handle things in the years to come. That was the, the big test of growing up. One of Noah Emmett Aluli's first major tests was self-imposed. He chose medicine as his career path for the sheer difficulty of the training. First, he earned his undergraduate degree at Marquette University in Wisconsin. Then he returned to Oahu and graduated in the very first class of the John A. Burns School of Medicine at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. I heard that in your high school yearbook, St. Louis, <laughs> you said you were intended to be a doctor. Well, I did that because it was the biggest challenge that anybody could ever accept. And um, it was kind of like, in a sense, saying, I'm going to do it. Uh, but then it was a challenge all the way through, you know, undergrad and, and getting into medical school and, and enjoying medical school, especially in, um, it was a lot of work. Did you think you were not going to make it at any point? Um, yes, because I couldn't, I couldn't discipline myself to study things that I couldn't really put my hands around, you know, all the science um, and the way we were learning things just by memory, rote, repeat, repeat, repeat. You're better at learning by doing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So after my one year in, in a rotating integrated um, residency program, I told the professors that I wanted to go and learn from the community. That's Hawaiian culture, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, and I chose Molokai because I was there in my fourth year as a rural health elective. Um, and I wanted Molokai because they were changing too, and, and the professors and, uh, at that time were studying what happened in Kahuku, what's happening in Kohala, when the plantations were closed and the big hotels were going to be the tourist destinations and how people were going to make that change. And Molokai was going to change that way too. Also, Molokai is known as the most Hawaiian place, yeah. or the most Hawaiian island, I should say, because uh, I think it's what, I, I, the last data I heard was nearly 40% of the population's Hawaiian, and, and many are more than 50%. Yeah. Because it was a, a Leper colony there. Uh, Kalapapa. Yeah, Kalapapa. People just were afraid of, of being there. And, uh, and because it was actually um, the beginning of the homesteading program, the very oh. first homestead was Kalamaula. And then Keokaha was the second one on the Big Island, and then came back to Ho'olehua. So it really had a real strong kind of presence there. Um, and it's small islands, so everybody knew everybody else. Was it hard for you to make that transition? You were kind of a suburban guy. Yeah. No, um, it was pretty easy because the way we were brought up, too, is, you know, you go to a house and you eat anything that's served. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think it was because I was kind of like um, out there and, and uh, interested and, and uh, people wanted me to stay on Molokai, so they kind of took me in and like, Uncle Auntie and taught me what they could and, and you know I think it was when I look back they kind of like had hoped that I would usher them to the next 
realm taking care of them that long. Molka'i would not be the only island drawing Dr. Emmett Aluli's interest. His medical career was just blossoming when his next major life test presented itself, Kaho'olawe. On January 4, 1976, Dr. Aluli was one of nine people who protested the U.S. Navy's use of the island for bombing practice. They defied restrictions and landed on the forbidden Target Isle. These nine people came to be known as the Kaho'olawe Nine. I was kind of like on call for, the, for three days at the, um, I was working at the Queen's um, emergency room, and then we had 72 hours off. Uh -huh. So I decided this was an opportunity. I wanted to go, I wanted to get away. And, and so I just kind of joined the group that was from Molokai that was asked to come in and kind of like see whether we could be part of this um, reclaiming of at least of fishing rights. Uh, Fishing around the island was so rich, and the fishermen, local fishermen, wanted to be able to go there and fish, and they were kind of like unable to get there except that they snuck on. So then we just decided, well, if we're here, we may as well go and, and look around a little bit more. How did you all get together? Um, it was a guy named Charlie Maxwell. From Pukalani Moi. Yeah, 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 who was kind of like... Uh, against what was happening uh, with the um, telescopes at um, Haleakala. But he was, he was the one that uh, was really kind of like organized uh, and reached out. And, uh, but nobody knew that this was uh, going to be a publicity thing. And they weren't really serious. And so when we kind of like knew the Coast Guard was called, alerted, and, and you'd, you'd gathered on... No, there must have been like about 30 boats, more fishing boats. So Charlie had called, he put out a call for, for let's go to that island, yeah. even though they say it's forbidden. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's make a statement. Let's make, make a statement, statement. let's land there? Yeah. Okay. And, with, and with, did, he a, say, did he say you might get arrested and no, that's no, we're worth not, it? No, no, we never got that, that, be careful, you might get arrested. It was uh, more like, let's just do this. Do it. But you remember there was an Alcatraz occupation, there was wounded knees, and, and so, you know, people were just kind of thinking, this is what we got to do as Native Hawaiians, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So there was all that push to do something. So 30 boats left, but then they turned back. They turned back. Otherwise, it would have been confiscated. And, and how did you get through? Did you say, I don't care if the boat's confiscated? No, no so what it is, it was, um, once again, a reporter who kind of like... Uh, knew a boat that was the fastest they can outdo, they pick us all up, boom, take us in, and then get out. Ah. So that was how we did it. We went, um, and the reporters turned back, because this is the boat that they had been on, but they, they took nine of us to the island. And then the Coast Guard came and took off the other seven. But you and Walter Ritty were exploring the island for two right, days. Right. Were you making yourself scarce, or were you just really exploring the island? We're, we're just kind of, we're, we're bent on exploring the island. And, and so it was okay if you just... Yeah, yeah. we just took off wow. in slippers. <laughs> for two days? Yeah. Before they came for you with handcuffs? They, actually, they cuffed our ankles. <laughs> and they gave us a bar letter. And so... What's a bar letter? I mean, you can never return. You're barred from the island. Oh, I see. 
Which did not happen. He went back. (laughs) So we went back because what we felt and saw was something just really different. You know, like I personally had to go back and see whether it was real that the land could be suffering that bad. Noah Emmett Aluli and others kept returning to Kaho'olawe in protest despite those military restrictions. Then tragedy, in March of 1977, the charismatic musician and activist George Helm was heading back to Maui with park ranger Kimo Mitchell in bad weather and rough water. The two were never seen again. Dr. Aluli says that Helm, the fellow member of the Kaho'olawe Nine, had great potential and power as an emerging leader of the Hawaiian people. Dr. Aluli was devastated by the loss of George Helm. I was wanting to just drop out completely, you know, and just kind of move on. But uh, something just told me that, you know, you just at least carry his suit and then you see that you're successful. And and so that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm still there, to make sure that uh, their loss or our loss is something that, you know, we kind of like can make a difference and, and be able to kind of show some successes in the island and, and show that we can green the island and show that their life loss is not lost forever. And did you know the other members of the Kaho'olawe Nine very well? No, not not very well, not very well. But I, I knew because they were organizing on, on different levels with the uh, more like a legal kind of understanding of, of our claims and our rights. And but it wasn't, uh, there weren't nine people picked because of their particular relationship no. and role. No. It was a kind of a Yeah, it was just a mixed bag, group. yeah. What an amazing set of accomplishments was made by, by a group of people who didn't even necessarily know each other ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, the, the magic, I call it magic. magic. Um, because we knew that the more people we could take to the island, the more they would be inspired to kind of like do work. Uh, and you said you felt a kind of spiritual presence I there. And I still do. What does it feel like? Um, it feels as if you're with nature, so strongly connected to it uh, that you're kind of like feeling uh, uplifted or you got past that responsibility, you know, that that you kind of like sweat on that land, you understand that land, but then now you can get, get into the worship of the gods of the land, you know, and, and that was it, you know. Um, Pelly creating new land, her sister Hiyaka, the healer, and then this other sister Kapo, and then all the nature forms of, of all her brothers and sisters, you know, that's all the people that uh, of old worship. Mm-hmm. had that connection to. Dr. Emmett Aluli and others in the grassroots organization Protect Ka'olave Ohana, or PKO, continued their fight to stop the bombing on the island. In 1980, the U.S. Navy and PKO signed a consent decree requiring the Navy to begin cleanup efforts, which are unfinished to this day. Then in 1990, President George H.W. Bush ordered an immediate halt to the bombing. 
Three years later, Congress voted to end military use, and Ka'olawe was turned over to the state. Since then, PKO and the Ka'olawe Island Reserve Commission, a state agency with which Dr. Aluli worked for more than 20 years, have focused on restoring the island that many regard as sacred. Dr. Aluli draws parallels between the Kaho'olawe protests four decades ago and the Mauna Kea protests against construction of the 30-meter telescope on Hawaii Island. The land is the religion. The health of the land is the health of the people, is the health of the nation. What it is is, is the decision, the Supreme Court decision that says no Mauna Kea is already destroyed, so it's no longer sacred. They could have used that argument against us. I mean, what? It's bombed the shit out of the island. No longer sacred. So, so we have to rethink this whole thing through. But you know, um, do, do you think there are a lot of an analogies between Kahoolawe and TMT? Yeah, it, it's the same kind of arguments for Mauna Kea. And, and that's the sad thing. We've kind of like really kind of like got stepped on. And I think the indigenous folks around the world have their own culture, science, mm -hmm. and understanding and that is respected even more. Um, it's just a matter of this next generation kind of coming up and, and uh, proving it, yeah. That you can manage the forests, the native forests, like, like the, you know, the Hawaiians of old did and get as good results as, as the sciences of today. No longer the target island, Kaho'olawe remains damaged by decades of bombing. There's a long-term strategic plan to restore the land called Iola Kanaloa, or Life to Kanaloa. Kanaloa is the ancient name for Kaho'olawe, after the Hawaiian god of healing, voyaging, and the ocean. Elements in the plan are experiential learning for students and healing programs for abuse survivors and former prisoners. Also, restoration of Ko'olawe's native habitat and cultural sites. Meanwhile, in his medical practice on Molokai, Dr. Emmett Aluli continues to tackle another challenge, the health of the native Hawaiian people. We still have the only uh, cardiovascular risk factor study. Then putting that together with some of the uh, um, economic determinants of health, uh, you know, the access that poor people don't have uh, or uninsured don't have. And putting that together and just really looking at it and using that as a tool in Mulcahy, this is where we are. And, and it's worked. And then from that study, we went into the Native Hawaiian diet study. So if you eat more taro, sweet potato, uh, reef fish, uh, you know, limu, mm -hmm. Uh, you should be healthier, you know, you know how to kind of integrate more, how to kind of like, I guess, extend care more permanently, uh, especially to the Native Hawaiians and how we're going to continue to kind of like benefit from the different ali'i's kind of like priorities. Um, then comes the... Um, well, part of that medicine is just trying to finish off some of my research, like uh, creating the health systems across the board for Native Hawaiians. Um, though we have Hawaiians that should start looking at the different programs and support that they need so we can 
really do a, a, a good cleanup and a good kind of future. Because the way it looks is we're not getting any better. As far as? As our health. As our health. Uh-huh. I think more of the social and economic determinants of health are increasing. And, and so sometimes I look at how do you change the I know care attitude. To I care. To I care. You know, the things. And how do we, can I look at being able to um, instill that pride again? You know, that because I think I think people are looking at oh US government, you owe me you owe me you owe me for for taking the land, for, you know, taking the kingdom and there's a lot of pissed off guys out there. Mm-hmm. And how do we kinda of make them kinda of like okay, we gotta work a little bit harder, we gotta learn our politics, we gotta bring that leadership back, we gotta bring that trust back. We will be able to survive, but we just have to depend on our connections to land a little bit more. We've got to get our strength back, connections to the land, our relationships to the land, and to make it sincere. I think that that's what we got to do, and I see that happening in different areas. For example? Oh, in some of the fish ponds at Heia, and, and um, you know, I see it kind of like um, flowering in, in some of the uh, farming projects. Um, you know, uh, especially in Molokai and the Big Island. Because you think the health of the land is reflect that that's a that has a, that's a determinant of the health of the people. people. Right, right. And then how we work all together as a nation, or as a community, or as a uh, we just you know automatic. But in these decades since Kaholawe. You say, you know, the health of the people has not well, improved. I, I don't see it because there's something else that's interfering. I think it's just um, I know care attitude that's, that um, we're addressing suicide also. Um, on Molokai, we've had a string of suicide. Depression setting in. Um, you know, I'm, we've got to talk this through a little bit more. We've got to focus on that. I mean, I, I think you're a person who's in it for the long term. You, I mean, you, you hung in there with Kaoholawe, and you're still in there. And um, and you, you've worked really hard on Hawaiian health. But you haven't really gotten to see the fruition of, of your hopes, all your hopes. I feel like it'll come. I, I feel it'll really come. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it develop um, in some key people. You know, we've had a couple of young guys come in and, you know, um, get credits working in my clinic, and they just, they're teaching me more than I'm teaching them. My patients ask me, when are you going to retire, Doc? I said, when I don't enjoy it anymore. Do you still feel like that activist inside? Um, yeah, yeah, and, and like, Looks like art says you gotta watch you, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> and that competitiveness that you had when you said, "I'm going to be a doctor," just because it was a hard thing to do. No, yeah, that was that was just. I think that pushed me through because I said I'm going to do it. Like it's pushed me through with Kohlab. I'm going to do it. Uh, with the other issues I've been involved, in, I'm going to do it. And and you know. 
I don't expect to be able to do it all, but at least some footprints. And some continuity. You'll, yeah. you'll leave behind people yeah. who, who can do it or yeah. who will carry it on. Who will carry it on. You, you seem like you're prepared for the long view. You know, things can't get done as quickly as you want, but you're going to keep at it. Yep. And people know that. People know that. Stay out of his way. (laughs) (laughs) Long-term challenges and the never-ending desire to heal the land and the people. These seem to define Dr. Emmett Aluli's life journey. As of this conversation in the summer of 2019, Dr. Aluli is 75 years old, and he says he has no plans to stop working to heal people and the land anytime soon. He says he's most thankful for his family, his medical practice, and his good health. Mahalo to Dr. Noah Emmett Aluli of Ho'olehua Molokai for sharing your story with us. And mahalo to you for joining us. For PBS Hawaii and Long Story Short, I'm Leslie Wilcox. Aloha nui. What do you think the people of Molokai can teach the rest of us? Molokai, the friendly island, is, is, is because we adopted um, or adjusted to the um, leprosy. And, and it's okay to go there and, and their family. And then there's, what I like is Molokai Ku'i La'au, the strong, powerful healing. But the one that uh, is being really shared is Molokai Aina Momona. Plenty. Lots of fruits. And, and I think a lot of people are, are adapting that. We gotta make our lands rich with food again. and written transcripts of all episodes of Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox, visit pbshawaii.org. To download free podcasts of Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox, go to the Apple iTunes Store or visit pbshawaii.org. 